Well, here it is, and once again, it's time for the world-famous, I said it, the world-famous Inside EMS. Welcome to 2022, another year, and we are ready and we are excited, but I am not as excited as my co-host, my friend, my partner, my confidant, Kelly Grayson, KG, 2022, Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year, man. I'm glad to uh, close the chapter on the dumpster fire that was 2021. Uh, of course, you know, Danny, Danny Tanner, uh, Bob Saget died just this week and, uh, to follow up with, with, uh, Betty white dying. So 2022 is off to a, a rousing start. You know, it's shameful. The people that uh, made us laugh and, you know, it, it was, uh, that he was part of uh, full house, which was a mm-hmm. great little sitcom, but people forget his stand up, and he, is, oh, he uh, was a good stand up. He had a really great, uh, comedic. Uh, presence and his stand-up was incredible but i am excited to be back with you for year number eight kelly grayson year number eight of inside ems this is this is shaping up to be the second longest relationship i've had in my life and and that's just frightening on so many different levels well, I, don't, I don't know whether to cheer or to just go drink myself into a stupor it's up to you, man. You get to you know, pick. like I, mean, I have I, to do to get psyched for this podcast every week, but I've said it, <laughs> I've said it and I'll say it again, regardless of how long we're in the relationship. I'm always the bigger spoon. Okay. So we do have a guest and you guys have read the notes. So you know that he is here and he is the editorial director for EMS one police one fire one corrections one. He is the one guy. And as a matter of fact, I want to bring this up before we bring him in here, Kelly, because we talk about year eight. The reason that I get to be behind the microphone and do podcasts is the influence and mentorship of our next guest. And people, hopefully they'll remember for years, he was the lead of the EMS Educast and there are probably still archives of that. I think he did it for five or six years, but bring him in here, Greg. Mm-hmm. I don't want to talk about it without you being a part of this, but you were the host along with your uh, friends, uh, Bill Toon and Rob Terrio every yes. week, week in and week out the EMS Educase. How many years did you do that? It was five or six years, wasn't it? Yeah, Chris, your memory of that is terrific. I, we did at least 200 episodes. I can't remember over what number of years we did that. Also, just uh, Buck Ferris was part of the original team uh, there that did that podcast. It's been hard to stay quiet during that intro. I would give just about anything to sit down in the day room at the station and watch Full House reruns with Kelly. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's uh, something that we all have to do. I think we're going to see them soon back on TV. We'll all we have can, to watch those. Reruns. We can just role role play when we when we get together and, and I'll be Uncle Jesse. <laughs> I've never watched enough. Uh, um, no, that's Nick right. Nadell, famous paramedic Nick Nadell, when he and I had a chance to uh, visit spontaneously in San Francisco years ago. He's like, one of the things we got to do is drive by the, the full house house. Uh, so I've got a picture of of that house. Uh, but we should probably get to, um, more interesting topics for our listeners than, uh, you know, you're the two of you shared love for uh, 80 sitcoms where we could do that, but, uh, having you here, Greg, it's awesome. And again, you're the editorial director across all the platforms. And of course, some great content on EMS one, you know, we have some great podcasts that are going on, on EMS one on fire rescue one and on police one. 
and really kind of taking that lead. And, and some of the things that we want to kind of talk to you about really have to do with, uh, you know, concerns that I think we have about ambulance safety. And we know that the EMS trend report is going to be coming out, but just having you here on the first show of the year, I think really kind of sets the stage of what is 2022 going to look like for EMS one. If I ask you the first question, um, do you have kind of a plan? I mean, what can we look forward to in this new year for content on uh, EMS one? Well, so fortunately, uh, Carrie Hatt, who's been on the show with you guys before, editor-in-chief of EMS1, she sets the editorial direction and tone and the, the content uh, that we, we cover and then works uh, kind of on a day-in, day-out basis with our regular contributors like Kelly, as well as uh, people that would want to write an article for EMS1 or be a guest on a podcast. So much of that like day-to-day -day responsibility is with Carrie. I can tell you the sort of general areas that are of ongoing importance to us across the sites are things like uh, safety, uh, both the physical safety, mental and emotional safety, uh, as, well, as well as wellness, uh, continuing to make sure we're getting information out to the audience that's uh, timely, accurate, relevant, and actionable on topics like COVID. Uh, here we are almost two years into that. We're still covering that. You know, of course, uh, relationships with communities, policymakers, elected officials, other stakeholders is important across uh, the platforms. And then just making sure people continue to get great information about how to do their jobs effectively and safely. Uh, that's going to be an area of ongoing importance across the sites. And then, um, you know, analysis and commentary. You know, my colleague, Mark Bayshore, who's talked to you recently, Chris, he's the executive editor of Fire Rescue One. He's already written up some uh, rapid response analysis about the two terrible, tragic fires in Philadelphia and New York City uh, where uh, children and adults were killed in these fires. Uh, Mark's not analyzing the, um, the tactics of the firefighters, but more just the importance of community risk reduction and just wanting to put that in the forefront of the readership of like, hey, we got to keep getting out there and spreading these safety messages to children and their parents about fire prevention, fire safety, uh, getting out of the house or the apartment as quickly as possible, warning others. So, you know, those are areas of, uh, you know, safety, training, analysis, um, things that are timely important that are going to continue to get our attention in 22. You know, and, and speaking of safety, ever foresee that we see a downturn in the rate of ambulance accidents and, and, and injuries and fatalities on the job from, from ambulance and vehicle crashes. Yeah, I keep hoping for it. I just still don't see it happening. Kelly, thanks for the question. So this is, it's a worry of mine. The frequency with which we see news items about ambulances that, um, uh, collide against a fixed object, collide with another vehicle, collide with a fire truck or a police car. Uh, those are the ones that are just really perplexing to me. Uh, intersection collisions, um, the, the amount of ambulances that go off the road um, in either emergency operations or non-emergency operations. I think there's a whole set of, you know, there's a set of types of collisions and then all sorts of uh, factors that cause those I got to think it's going to get better over the long term because of the changes in passenger vehicles, you know, the, the collision avoidance technology that is 
becoming more and more standard in passenger vehicles over the long haul has to be beneficial to all other vehicles that, you know, there's going to be a time where it's just going to be nearly impossible to drive your uh, Chevy Blazer or Ford Explorer or whatever into another vehicle because the computers on board won't let you. Um, and so hopefully that will be of some benefit to uh, ambulances. And then eventually maybe that technology also comes in a way that's meaningful to ambulances. I think the thing that's right in front of us, though, is um, things that are directly related to the workforce, and that's continuing training, uh, fatigue management, workload, uh, policies, um, and then monitoring behaviors like wearing a seatbelt. That if, if I see a news article about an ambulance that goes off the road and people are ejected, they were not wearing their seatbelts. Like yeah. people that are wearing a seatbelt don't get ejected from a vehicle. Um, and so that's a, a policy, a monitoring issue that I think the industry is still grappling with. You know, I was just thinking about this the other day. I mean, it just in the past couple of weeks, if you've been monitoring EMS one, you've seen that there's been two or three ambulance collisions and some that were fatal. And, you know, you, you think about working inside that ambulance, there was an article that came up on EMS one that talked about, are you able to do your job in the back of an ambulance? And, you know, I think back in the old days when we were, you know, we first started para, uh, to be paramedics, we were using uh, certainly not the Cadillacs that some of the folks were using way back, but we were in vans. And when we started to get into these box trucks, it gave us a little bit more room that we were able to operate and kind of get around the patient with a center mounted cot. And then it seemed that the ambulances just started getting bigger and bigger, but the ability to keep the people inside safe wasn't uh, uh, catching up with that, you know, with that uh, market. And I was looking at the picture that was in the article about the, you know, are you able to do your job in the back of an ambulance? And I'm thinking just something as easy as having a tether that's, you know, attached to the ceiling that could be, you could wear a harness that will allow you to walk around the patient. And, but when we think about this from a safety standpoint, Greg, I'm babbling a little bit. Are we taking enough focus on the provider's safety rather than the ambulance itself? Yeah. So I think it's got to be a combination of things, right? So some of it is engineering controls that could be a tether and there's, I've seen it yeah. shows there's seats that would allow you to stand up and then retract into the seat or an engineering control might be, uh, you know, the vehicle doesn't move forward if uh, seatbelts are not belted or there's some sort of alarm that goes off. Um, and, and then, you know, there's certainly a lot of manufacturers have been working hard for a number of years on compartment protection and uh, keeping the, the box fixed to the chassis and, and further, I guess, protecting the compartment, if you will, with the more rigid siding. So I think those things are important. I also agree with you that it does come down to provider decisions uh, and then also the policies that, govern those or dictate those. And so I, I would kind of divide it up into um, two buckets. One maybe is a provider mindset of, of just committing yourself to staying seated and staying belted. And if you need to get up, you ask the driver 
I need you to pull over because I need to perform an intervention that I can't do with my seatbelt on. And, and making a commitment of like, I'm going to do that 100% of the time and just see what happens to your practice as a paramedic. And then the other would be the other bucket would be a monitoring and being able to report back to the staff uh, in some way of like, hey, on, you know, our transports, you know, you know, the time that the vehicle's in motion, right? We've got, you know, we were in motion for 10,000 minutes in December. In 9,995 minutes, people were seat belted, like wonderful, like keep up the good work. Or like, we only had 1,000 minutes out of 10,000 uh, that we were seat belted. Uh, and we also know that only 5% of those transports were red lights and sirens. So very few of those minutes were with critical patients. And, you know, we also know that, uh, you know, we only had three pediatric patients, CPR in progress. Uh, so like you can rule out some of the exceptions of like, well, but what if it's a child with no pulse and uh, you want us to like, you know, choose your poison here. Uh, but if you can come back to the staff and say like, hey, most of our patients are going to the hospital, non-emergent with non-life-threatening, uh, why, why aren't you seat belted? Like your safety is number one. Those are the things that come to mind for me, Chris. You know, and that's going to be the, the biggest hurdle uh, in, in increasing safety or, or creating a culture of safety, which, you know, has been an ongoing theme in, in EMS for, for years now. Um, it, the mindset of the providers changing uh, and people buying into what, uh, what their, their uh, agency advocates are trying to do. Um, you know, I think it was Nadine Levick that said that there's more stringent regulation on the safe transport of cattle than there are uh, of, of human beings in the back of an ambulance. And she's, she's correct in that, but we can make engineer the ambulances to be as safe as they possibly can be. But unless we change the way we view our jobs at EMS and, and how we provide it, um, we're going to still run into this. Uh, I, I couldn't believe one of our, our colleagues, Jason Haig did a, uh, a column in a, in a recent magazine, about questioning the use of uh, responding lights and sirens and got a bunch of blowback from EMS providers and, and anyone who has been an EMS for more than 15 minutes knows that the vast majority of the people we transport are not that time sensitive. Uh, but we still are in that, that, that uh, superhero uh, respond lights and sirens and snatch them from the jaws of death mindset. We, we, we totally ignore the fact that the vast majority of the time, our patients do not need a fast transport to the hospital. They need a safe one yeah. and, and changing people's minds about what we do in EMS and why we do it. And, and the best way to go about doing that seems to be the, the biggest hurdle we're going to overcome. I would suggest two things to the people that, that think that uh, those fast transports are important is how often from your scene arrival to your patient at the side of the patient, are you sprinting from the ambulance to the living room or Good from point. the ambulance up three flights of stairs or the ambulance to the nursing station and the skilled, skilled nursing facility um, and have that, it, you know, it's just really rare that anybody's sprinting from the ambulance to the patient's side. And then the other time interval is from when you have the patient out of the ambulance 
is anybody sprinting into the room, if you even get a room these days, uh, sprinting into the room to receive that patient is really rare, right? And so, you know, use your training and your scope of practice and the tools that your employer gives you to care for the patients. Um, And if you have to care for them an extra 30 seconds or five minutes in the ambulance, you you have training to do that. Um, And especially when you realize that your treatment's likely going to continue for another 15 or 30 minutes, or we're here in hours or more Mm -hmm. at the hospital. Um, I I think that's a really important observation, Kelly. The, I wanted to share with you guys. So last year in the EMS trend report, we had a question where we asked people, um, would you like your agency to use red lights and sirens uh, about the same less often or more often. And we had a third of respondents say they wanted their agency to use less often. And I thought that was, that to me feels like a real wake up call for leaders and that you have field providers saying like, we're going hot way too often. You're putting my safety, our community safety at risk, our patient safety. You know, we gotta, we gotta look at slowing down. And some people are listening to this and saying like, I got this policy that if it's uh, this type of response, I got to go hot. Or if it's this type of patient, I got to go hot. And EMS is not black and white. And when we take away that decision-making from people, I think it contributes to extra risk uh, and then also makes some robots, uh, which I don't think is desirable either. We got people in the profession saying we got to slow down. And I want leaders to pay attention to that. Yeah, I think you're right. And you bring up the trend report, and I think it's a great transition. And, uh, you know, to talk about it, Greg, and we're going into, I think, is it year five now we talk about the CMS trend report? I think it's seven, Chris. Okay. Yeah. I'm yeah. Getting, we're, I'm getting old. I'm losing. Yeah. I'm losing yeah. years. So, but I think that one of the things that we talk about is I'm very excited to see this year's, and I, and I kind of want to get a glimpse of that with you as you work on that with Fitch and Associates and, uh, you know, kind of get the uh, time frame of that coming out. But, one of the things that I've, I've talked about when the EMS trend report comes out is we now have, you know, six good years of data. And what are we doing with this information? You know, as you mentioned, you talk about that providers are saying, do we need to go lights and sirens to these calls? And you're putting me at risk uh, when you do this. But now one of the things that I would want to know is, well, just give, maybe give me the specifics about when it's coming out, what we can expect, yeah. but how do we start using this data to make a difference in our career field? Yeah. So a bunch of questions there, Chris, all great ones. Uh, so this year, it's a collaboration between EMS one Fitch and associates, the EMS survey team and the national EMS management association, uh, this week, so by the time this is posted, uh, we'll be collecting responses for this year's CMS Trend Survey um, with the idea that it's going to be open for a few weeks. We want to hear from people across the industry, uh, whether you're a medical first responder or medical director, paramedic, everyone in between. If you're a month onto the job or 30 years, if you're EMS chief or a field provider, we want to hear from you. Um, And so share your answers, encourage your colleagues uh, to participate. It's the only of its kind survey that's looking across the industry and seeing how we're changing over time and bringing what are important issues in the industry to decision makers. Uh, As far as like how the data 
gets used or the conversations it informs. So EMS1 and Fitch Associates will collaborate on a report that will be published at the same time as the Pinnacle EMS Conference, which this year is the end of July-ish. Um, and then we'll deliver the results also in a presentation there. I think it oftentimes, you know, it, it's I, as much as uh, I like to pontificate, maybe even more than Kelly, um, you know, I can't just Ouch. say like, uh, you know, uh, EMS now do this. I might say, here's some ideas or here's some findings for the turn report. It really uh, becomes the responsibility of the leaders to take that information and make some change with it. And so last year at the at Pinnacle at our in-person conferences session, I highlighted to attendees that there were four really prominent issues that came up in, in last year's trend report in a way that I thought they could have a discussion. Uh, one was about employee assistance programs. The other was about provider safety, um, power cots. And uh, now as soon as I said four, I'm gonna forget the fourth one. Uh, but I said to uh, the attendees like, Here's some information, what the participants said about employee assistance programs, for example. Here's the data we have. Now in your table group, uh, you know, you're surrounded a table of four or five other EMS leaders. Have a conversation about what you're going to do next week when you get back to your service related to EAP. What are you going to do next month? And what are you going to do in the next budget cycle? Because we've got years of providers saying, EAP doesn't understand EMS. Okay, leaders, do something about that. Like, what will you do next week? And so one table said to me, Greg, I already put in my calendar, call head of EAP, have a conversation with them uh, to make sure that they know EMS. Somebody else said, I'm going to do one better. I'm inviting the EAP rep on a ride along. They're going to go out with the battalion chief. They're going to spend a day with EMS. Uh, and, and somebody said, okay, next month, I'm going to do um, some research just to better understand our vendor. And somebody else said, you know, in the next budget cycle, I want to keep having EAP, but I also got to stand up a peer support team. And I know that's going to take some money to pay for training uh, and make sure that group has the resources they need. So my advice to leaders is pick something that you want to improve and think about it like, what do I do next week? What do I do next month? What do I do in the next budget cycle and get going? Yeah. And you made a great point there, Greg, that, that we've got six years of actionable data that we can start shifting policies on. And, and, and I'll take it from the other tack. Uh, so much of, of disillusionment and burnout in EMS is, is you feel helpless. Uh, you're not steering the ship. You're not even involved in which way the ship is going. Um, and, and there's no consistency in, in leadership and the way, uh, um, uh, the way our, our profession evolves. And this is a chance in participating in this, in this uh, trend survey uh, for the line providers to, to have a hand in, in steering the ship. What's important to you? What do you need to convey to your leadership and to, to EMS as a whole? If it's important to you, you need to be speaking out about it. And yet we rarely do. You know, what, yeah. what's, what's the, the uh, response rate uh, in, the, in the surveys sent out? How many do we get back with, with data uh, versus how many we send out? I would imagine it's, it's a fairly small percentage. 
Yeah, so it's a, a convenient sampling technique. So we promote the link to the survey um, with our partners. So it, it goes out to the audience, gets shared on social media, email newsletters that go out uh, to people that are on the list, if you will, or um, participants. Uh, we ask our industry partners to help us promote. Um, so the response rate basically could be anybody that's an EMS or the pool. Um, historically, we've seen anywhere between 2,000 to 3,000 responses, which I feel pretty good about. Uh, of course, I, if it's 10,000, like we'll We'll, uh, we'll work through the data. If it's 10,000 or 100,000, happy to have anyone that wants to participate. The, um, you know, what we've seen in sort of like a cross section, uh, I've told people this for several years at our in-person sessions. You know, our typical, if I was gonna say there's a typical respondent, we have more men than women that participate. We have more field providers than managers. We have more paramedics than EMTs. We have more people that have been in the field for 10 years than people that have been less than 10 years. And we have more people that are uh, have either an associate's degree or bachelor's degree or higher than people that have only high school education or, or some school beyond high school. Um, I think the, you know, I wanna hear from people across this sort of range of experiences. It's not surprising to me that, uh, a paramedic with a college degree with more than 10 years on the job is more apt to participate because of the investment they've already made in the career, um, you know, in both their education and time of service uh, compared to somebody that's maybe a medical first responder that's a volunteer that's been at it for a year, you know, um, it's just a different level of, yeah. of personal investment. Yeah, and I think that, you know, when you talk about this, the EMS trend report is really a foundation for when is somebody going to do something about this? And, you know, what is this? And when you have people who are telling you their opinions, it really kind of pinpoints that there may be a challenge in this particular area, whether it's recruiting or retention or safety or COVID or whatever it was that they asked last year. But Greg, I think one of the missing components here, and I'm just kind of fishing here, maybe you have a better understanding than I do. It's not just the provider or the EMS leader filling out the survey to get their opinions. But when this survey comes out, how does that field provider look at that information? Because you got to think one day, hopefully these people who are sitting in the ambulance become the next leaders in our career field. They got to be able to look at this and understand this report as well. And maybe they can bring ideas to their administration about it. Yeah, it's out, out. Go back to where you began, Chris, with the EMS Educast. So that's probably like 15 years ago that we were doing uh, EMS Educast and uh, the EMS Garage podcast. And one of the things that was just a now really old, yeah, right, uh, <laughs> really eye-opening for me was uh, some connectedness with the profession um, that I, I like uh, you guys sometimes felt like a voice in the wilderness uh, talking about like, Hey, let's slow down. That's where our seatbelts um, or Hey, let's uh, make sure educators are better prepared to educate. And I got connected through that uh, social media and the podcast uh, with people across the industry that were interested in some of those same challenges uh, that I was interested in. 
and and some collaborations came from that um and so i think that's one thing is just to like you know that third of people that found out that like hey i'm not alone in in saying we should uh use lights and sirens less often i think there's something to that um i would also go back to the, the challenge i gave to leaders what are you going to do tomorrow or next week next month the next budget cycle and so when you next week if you're a listener fill out the trend report and then you know and so make your voice heard and i think kelly your point was like how do we all become advocates um you know participate in the survey uh, the three of us have long advocated for the importance of professional associations warts and all uh good bad and ugly um sometimes they're great sometimes they're like face palm in but if you're not a member of your state EMS association or the national association of EMTs or national EMS educators association whatever your niche is i really think it's important to be a member and then a year from now think about like in that next cycle like how do i build up towards being a guest on the the inside EMS podcast to talk about with Chris and Kelly something that's important or how do i contribute an article to EMS1 or how do i submit to be a a a speaker at at EMS world like those are ways that that somebody can map out a plan of of being a better advocate for themselves and the profession um and make their voice heard you know greg it's always great having you on and uh you know it's like getting the band back together and uh you know so we really appreciate you taking time out of your busy day to come and join us and uh you know kind of share a little bit about your experience because you see things a little bit differently as you get all this data now uh, as the editorial director uh for uh, all the you know first responder uh platforms so i'm just curious i mean as we close the show do you have a final thought that you can share with the audience uh whatever that is yeah chris your loyal listeners of inside ems are some of the most engaged and thoughtful people in all of ems the fact that they're subscribing regularly listening to the two of you plus the other experts that come on the show uh, really says something about uh, their commitment and dedication to the profession to their own professional development and uh, the compassion they have for their patients so i just want to thank your listeners of inside ems uh their loyalty and dedication i think says a lot about their character uh and then my encouragement to them is 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 keep it up and think about you know it's also the start of a new year think about maybe what's the next step for you um how do you um further your bond to the profession or what you might the direction you might want it to go or what you could give to it uh because just by the virtue of you being an inside EMS listener it says a lot about who you are and your thoughtfulness about this profession so i want to say thanks to those people and, and just encourage them to uh keep on keeping on thanks so much million dollar idea a tiktok dance challenge with you and and chris with the the link to the survey on the screen Re- reach that demographic we 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 struggled to reach uh reaching on other social media platforms i, I think y'all need to get together and do like a duet of fancy like applebees or or classic or something like that but hey that's what i think you've heard what greg and chris think we'd like to hear your thoughts on the subject 
Um, and we'd like you to participate in the EMS trend survey when it's posted. Contact us at the show at ems1.com. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes. And for myself, co-host Chris Sevalero, and our special guest this week, the big kahuna, Greg Freeze. Thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We're going to catch you guys next week.